Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawson. Welcome to the State of the Union podcast presented by State Farm. We come to you again from Doha, Qatar, here on the banks of the Doha Bay at the Corniche at our Fox Sports World Cup set. And then, Mossy, there were eight. We go through the round of 16, eight teams left. My good friend David Mossy joining me, gracing us with his, uh, his presence. Um, you know, my timeline was filled up with uh, your uh, compatriots, uh, Brazilians all over the place, uh, yelling and screaming in a good way. After uh, last night, me screaming and yelling about uh, dancing. Evidently, the media over there got a hold of that and ran with it. And so there was a lot of Portuguese and, you know, Brazilian people screaming and yelling. Well, I pointed that out to you. Global actually tweeted your comments. Uh, it's understandable. So, I mean, you know. Yeah, you're... Uh you're a, a global, <laughs> global voice in the game. All right, Mossy. All right, what are we doing here? Listen, uh, another another day of action. The final day of round of sixteen action. Two very, very interesting games. Let's start off with Spain and Morocco. Ended zero zero. Uh, although I thought it was a pretty, at times, interesting game. Uh, and ultimately, Morocco comes away uh, the winners in uh, in penalties. Let's start with the the actual game. We knew. And we always know that Spain is going to control most of the game in terms of the possession. You know, a thousand cuts, a thousand passes, all that, all that kind of stuff. They did that to a certain extent in this game. I didn't think it was as, as much as we have seen in the past. And maybe that's a credit to the way that Morocco played. There were certainly times where they were just bending and not breaking. But within that possession, the possession with purpose that we have talked about with Spain, there wasn't a lot of purpose. And as a matter of fact, if you probably go back and look at it, Morocco had some real wonderful chances uh, ultimately to win this game through the 90 minutes and through the uh, 120 minutes. Um, general thoughts on the way that this game played out before we got to penalties. I agree with you. I thought Morocco were good value for the draw. Uh, it is amazing that uh, history repeats itself. Four years ago in the round of 16, Spain went out to Russia on penalties, a game in which they completed more than 1,000 passes. Um, in this one, they had almost 80% possession. Uh, I do admire on some level their devotion to this style, and I'm a possession guy. I do like teams that can control the game and hold on to the ball. But at, at some point, you have to realize that there needs to be a, a plan B. Uh, you know, and, and they sometimes find themselves in these games where it's possession without much of a purpose, and they're just kind of knocking it around. And, you know, it, it can sometimes be their undoing. Um, we identified as a potential weakness of this team going into the tournament uh, the lack of top-notch strikers. And although Morata did well in the group stage, he scored in all three games, 
Um, I just think if you're relying at the highest high level on guys like Morata and Ferran Torres, um, I, I just don't think they're quite good enough. Well, well, if you're going to rely on him and he scores in all group stage, then why don't start him? I mean, you know, that's a, that's, that's a little strange. To your point, they had over 1,000 passes yet again. And at some point, this dogmatic approach and dying on this hill, it, it, I know there's a romance to it. And I know there is a beauty that people see. And I actually do have a, a tremendous amount of respect for those that actually don't just talk about it. They walk it. And this is a team. Because so many teams, it's, all, it's such BS. They talk about ideology and they talk about a style of play and all that kind of stuff. And Luis Enrique and this Spanish team, even before Luis Enrique, this said, this is how we are going to play regardless of who we have. But it does at times get incredibly frustrating to watch and maybe even to play to a certain extent because when they did go direct, when whether it was offset pieces or whether it was crossing the ball, and they actually found some joy, but their reluctance to actually be direct because it's kind of in their DNA not to be, I think that becomes a hindrance at, at, at a certain point. Um, should we get into the uh, the penalties? Because as we said, this this went into penalties. And let me just say something about penalties. And you might, if you watched our coverage today, have heard me say it. But it bears it bears repeating when it comes to uh, uh, PKs. And I think I said this this yesterday. But this this notion that it is this separate game that it has nothing to do with the actual playing of the game. Could I understand where that comes from? But it's not true, and it devalues what ultimately happens in terms of the winner, but ultimately how that winner is achieved. Your ability to take penalties, the skill that is required, the research, the knowledge, the background, the history, the feel, and then obviously the execution. That is part of being a good soccer player, that is part of being a good team, and that is part of winning. And ultimately, again, we saw here that this Morocco team, they were much better at it. And I think it's disrespectful to go back, and Luis Enrique almost went there, not totally, almost went there in his post-game press conference in the way that he described, you know, we had all the possession, we had all the opportunities, and we did all this kind of stuff, but you ended up losing the game. And the irony is, as you mentioned, after that loss four years ago, they went back to the drawing board from a penalty perspective and really kind of focused in on it. But whatever they were doing, taking a 1,000 penalties or researching stuff like that, obviously didn't win because not only did they not win in penalties, but their penalties were horrible. And, yes, you need a goalkeeper to make saves. And, yes, Buno, that was wonderful for what he did. But this, the credit should still go to Morocco, even though it happened in the penalty. And if you just say it's a coin flip or if you just say it's a crapshoot, then every game that's decided by penalties should be insignificant and should not even be part of your radar. When somebody wins a championship or a title on penalties, it, sh it should be irrelevant if that's the way that you are going to go. So credit goes to Morocco, not just for the way that they withstood a team that has more possession in Spain, but ultimately in their ability and their skill, both physically and mentally, to in that moment win the penalty. Yeah, I don't agree that it's a lottery, which some people say. A lot um, of people think that, think that yeah. it's just, eh, just throw it in the air and whatever happens, happens 50-50. You shoot it and it might go in, it might not go in. It's luck of the draw and that kind of stuff. But it's also not indicative of who the better team is. Why? Because it's just one aspect of the game, taking penalties. It's not, I mean, I, listen. Well, you, I mean, you, goals are an aspect. I, I like of penalties. I, I think you have to settle the game some way, and so I'm fine with it. But I, I do agree with people that say that just because a team wins in a penalty shootout, it doesn't well, that, reflect the but fact But then that they you were the should discard team. that result then. 
If it, if well, it, and, and FIFA officially count penalty kicks as draws. But, but what I'm saying is if your team wins the World Cup, if Brazil goes through and wins on penalties, then it should, it should not matter. We shouldn't even have it. We should just say, wait, we'll come back four years from now and we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, it, it did feel a little weird to win that way in 94, I must confess. Okay, well, fine. Then, then I'm not counting it. <laughs> I take it away from you. All right, you didn't win it in 1994. So congratulations. Way to go. Um, yeah, where, where's Globo on that one? Yeah, your 1994 World Cup, it doesn't count. Uh, you know yeah. why? Because you won it on penalties, okay? And penalties, according to this Brazilian over here, yeah, they, they shouldn't count, and it's a different thing. No. All right, so fine. You didn't win You, you had a day of being in the good graces of right, exactly. everybody. Right, <laughs> exactly. All right. Um, so anyway, uh, so Morocco goes on, the Cinderella story. And, and look, it, the, the, well, first off, Hakimi at the end. All right. This is a guy we know was born in Spain, decided to play for Morocco. And in that moment, in that penalty, to win it for his team over Spain with a Panenka. I mean, the you-know-what on him in that moment was just mm, sweet. It was wonderful for him and wonderful for not just the Moroccans back home because we know that this, you know, this neck of the woods here, this, uh, this region has really embraced this team for what it means. And we also know that when it comes to you know, uh, countries, whether it's in Spain, all the connections that they have, whether it's uh, in different places in Europe and we're seeing the different parties here and the Moroccan communities uh, that exist out there, it, it's a big party for what it means, not just for Morocco, but what, also what it means for the region. And the fans in the stadium were incredible today. Uh, first time ever in the quarterfinals for them. This was only their second ever knockout stage match. The previous one was in the round of 16 in 1986. They lost to West Germany 1-0. Uh, and they're the fourth African side to get to the quarterfinals. Cameroon 1990, Senegal 2002, Ghana 2010. And no African side has gotten to the semis, so they have a chance to make history here in this uh, upcoming match against Portugal. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's go on to the next game. Portugal-Switzerland. It ended up, it wasn't even close. Portugal 6, Switzerland 1. But the big story coming in was Ronaldo. And then the big story as the game started was that Ronaldo was on the bench. Did you see this coming? And now that you have seen it, well, first off, how it played out. Because, I mean, we talked about it on the pregame. We, you know, we do the uh, players to watch. And even in the players to watch, I, I mentioned Cristiano Ronaldo. That's how big he is and how big the news is. And we talked yesterday on the show about why you focus on Cristiano Ronaldo. And look, we don't control the cameras, but FIFA controls the cameras. How many shots of Ronaldo did you have? Because that was the drama. That was the theater. And yet, when all was said and done, my man Gonzo, a star is born. The era of Gonzo is upon us. Who am I talking about? Gonzalo Ramos. Exactly. Gonzalo Ramos gets the start over Cristiano Ronaldo. And he doesn't just get the start. He comes in and proceeds to score a hat trick for Portugal. Uh, Fernando Santos has reached the same conclusion that Eric Ten Hag reached. Um, and I, I think <laughs> it's hard to argue at this point that at the highest level, Ronaldo now takes more off the table than he puts on. And uh, the performance that Portugal put forth tonight, I, it, this was the realization of 
what I've been hoping for from this team for, for the last few years uh, and all that talent actually coming together in that way. And you can't get away from the fact that he wasn't on the field when that happened. So um, I don't think he's going to start uh, the next match either. I think they're going to move forward in this direction. Um, and, you know, to, Ramos was unbelievable. Uh, Leon comes on and gets a goal. Joan Felix, Bruno Fernandez, Bernardo Silva. You know, I've been rattling off the names yep. for years. So, um, yeah, I'm enamored of their talent. And, and I did kind of start to think recently that Ronaldo was maybe the guy that was getting in the way and, and, and you take him off the field and all of a sudden they win 6-1. This was, in my opinion, the performance of the tournament because yep. Switzerland is better than if you if you take Brazil, Argentina, France, whatever their most commanding victories were, they were against opponents that are inferior to yep. Switzerland. So um, kudos to Portugal. They were phenomenal and I think this is the type of performance that really enhances their credentials as a genuine title contender. And the, you mentioned Fernando Santos. This was the almost the perfect moment for him to do this and he had to be he had to get it right the dynamic within that team he had to have his finger on the pulse and when I say it's the perfect moment what he had was for maybe the first time the backing of the public in that there were a lot of fans that did not want Cristiano Ronaldo to start and believe that this team is better and that power balance had shifted. We know Cristiano, with all the power that he has over the years, and for good reason, because he was the man and he drove this team. But Fernando Santos really had to walk a, a real thin you know, wire there in order to figure out how to deal with this. And oh, to be a fly on that wall when he told Cristiano that this wasn't going to happen and what that reaction may or may not have been. Ultimately, it looked good. The optics were great, patting people on the back, high-fiving and doing all, all, all that. But you know down deep inside, just like any player, He's not happy. He's not happy that he is not on the field. But this was a huge moment for Fernando Santos and maybe the defining moment for Portugal in their attempt to win a World Cup. Oh, to be a fly on the wall when Piers Morgan found out about this. <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. So, uh, you, you know, you mentioned uh, Gonzo. I call him Gonzo, all right, uh, because I like, <laughs> I like to call him Gonzo. Uh, you think he's going to start the next game? I do. Okay. I mean, you get three goals, right? He, he comes in. First hat trick of the tournament. He is, by the way, just called up for the first time in September. He is the Brandon, uh, Brandon Vasquez, what Brandon Vasquez could have been for the United States, right? My God, what could have been? What could have been? Um, all right. Well, uh, anything else you want to talk about this game, Mossy? No, no, I think we can spin it forward to the quarterfinals. All right, so as we mentioned, uh, the quarterfinals are over. We have eight left, eight teams left. Here's what we got. Croatia against your Brazil, and that is going to be on Friday. Uh, we know Croatia came through uh, and beat Japan in the round of 16 in penalties, and Brazil cruised through and in their round of 16 game beat South Korea 4-1. By the way, I had uh, your Richarlison uh, ahead of Messi at one point in my top 10 players. Uh, and so that's going to be interesting going forward. Um, interesting thing for me in this game, I'm going to gloss over that absurdity. <laughs> 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 um, uh, interesting thing for me in this game is what kind of lineup Chichi is going to roll out there. As we've talked about, he sort of toggles back and forth between a more attack-minded lineup and a more pragmatic lineup, depending on the opposition. Uh, the lineup he played um, against uh, South Korea, um, essentially a 4-2-4. It does leave you susceptible to being outnumbered in the midfield and against a team like Croatia that has guys like Modric and Kovacic. Um, I wonder if he'll, he'll 
feel comfortable putting out that lineup. Uh, but you know, coming off the performance against South Korea, I, I, I think he might. He might roll the dice and just say, hey, th this lineup performed for me in the last game, so I'm going to stick with it. Uh, Alex Sandro should be back, so the Brazil should have an actual left back, and then that would shift Danilo back to right back. So I think it'll end up being the same lineup from uh, the opener against Serbia. Um, interesting game in terms of the World Cup history here. Opening match in 2006, Brazil won 1-0. Kaká scored a great goal. Opening match in 2014, uh, Brazil won 3-1. Uh, but it was 1-1 second half, and then Brazil rewarded a bogus penalty of Fred Dive in the box, so that win was a little tainted. Um, uh, I also remember a friendly right before the 2018 World Cup at Anfield. Neymar scored, Brazil won 2-0. So it's been mostly in Brazil's favor, and I think Brazil are favorites, and if I had to guess, I think we win, but... Uh, it's a tough game. I'm not uh, taking anything for granted here. This is a team that got to the final. Oh, you're going to uh, be fine. Stop four years whining. ago. And, Stop and whining. You're going to be just fine. Don't you worry. So you think this is no problem? Yeah, it's no problem. Smoking a coffee for, uh, for <laughs> Brazil. All right? This is where it ends for, uh, for Croatia. Um, okay. That's on Friday. Also on Friday, the Netherlands versus Argentina. Obviously, we saw the Netherlands with the U.S. They go on. This is where it gets interesting for me. And to, just as a reminder, Netherlands beat the United States 3-1. to one. Argentina in the round of 16 beat Australia 2-1 to one to have this matchup. Argentina, as a reminder to all of our uh, listeners and our watchers out there, is David Mossy's pick to win the World Cup. I have... The Netherlands ultimately coming out ahead of Argentina and beating, beating Argentina in this in this game. How do you see this one playing out? Uh, I think it's absolutely a possibility uh, that the 50, Netherlands 50, win this 60, game. 50, 50, 60, 40? What are you looking Slight at? Edge Slight edge Argentina. But, uh, yes. uh, the Netherlands could win this game. I expect, frankly, a similar game plan to the way they approach the U.S. match, which is to say um, they're going to be very comfortable letting Argentina have the ball. Uh, and trying to suck them forward. Uh, they feel like they can absorb pressure with Van Dyke mm -hmm. and Ake back there. And then they want to try to exploit that space and, and be vertical with Gakpo and Depay and Dumfries and players like that. Um, so it should be a fascinating game. Uh, you know, Julian Alvarez has really emerged for Argentina. We'll see him up there tussling with Van Dyke. Messi, obviously, floating around doing messy things. Um, so really fun game. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know, Nopert, you know, the Dutch have this red-hot goalkeeper, and we'll see if he can maybe stand on his head in a game like this. And um, If he stands on his head, then he's – well, if he stands on his head, then he's still 6'8", right? But if he yeah. stands on his hands, uh, more. Tons of World Cup history here. I've been talking about it. Uh, 1978 final, Argentina won an extra time. Mario Kempes, 98 quarterfinals, 2-1 uh, Netherlands. Dennis Bergkamp scored one of the great goals in World Cup history. 2014 semis, no nil. Argentina won on penalties. So another chapter in this uh, underrated World Cup rivalry. I can't wait. All right, uh, let's go to uh, Saturday uh, for the uh, the two the two days of games here. Uh, Morocco. We know we, they they uh, tied Spain and then went on to win in penalties against Portugal, who we saw tonight with that six to one win over Switzerland. Now, I think that this game has kind of revitalized and. Um, refreshed a lot of people's look at this Portugal team and yours, the way that you said, if they continue on without Cristiano Ronaldo. And, you know, not that he needs me to defend him, but putting all of the ills or whatever ills you perceive of Portugal on, on Cristiano, that's a little bit unfair to a man that has meant so much uh, to this team. But if he does accept this position and, you know, is a, a super sub, it's not a bad sub to have, 
to come in, especially against a Morocco team that we know is going to pull back. And they're, you know, so the, 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 what you're asking him to do kind of is what he does in the box, uh, those, those types of opportunities. So we'll see if he, how he, how, if he plays a role. I don't think he's, he's going to start like you. And so much so, I think this is where the Cinderella story of Morocco ends. By the way, if Ronaldo comes on in this game, which I suspect he will, it'll be cap 196. It'll tie the world men's record, which is held by this Kuwaiti player, Badr Al-Mutawa, 196. So yet wow. another mile, and then he'll presumably surpass it because I don't you, think he's you are a savant. You're, you're <laughs> ridiculous, but, um, but you said it with you know a little disdain, and you know I mean put some respect on that man. <laughs> All right? How dare you? Um, but I agree with you. I think this is where uh, the magic runs out for Morocco. They've had a great run, but uh, Portugal, they're going to build off this performance and I think be very strong again. So I'd and, like, and I'd how, like hey, how about a shout-out to Pepe, all right? 39 years 39 years old, center back. Did you see him jump up there like a salmon and just slam that thing home? I loved it, and then I started thinking about set pieces, and it made me sad uh, that the U.S. Uh, is horrible on attacking set pieces. So, I mean, man, oh, man. Uh, don't get me don't we started. I, I don't even want to get it started, but congratulations to, to Pepe. Uh, it, you could see how much it meant. And you know, he wasn't even scheduled to start this, uh, this tournament, but he's, not only is he starting, he is incredible uh, with what he does and the way that he keeps his body fit. And who knows, he's going to turn 40 in February, I think. So it's, it's just amazing. All right, uh, the final game, and, and maybe the, the biggest game, let's be honest, um, a classic matchup, England versus France. Uh, as I said on air today, if England somehow finds a way to get past France, then it well and truly may be coming home in a way that I have never thought it was coming home before. Uh, I'm picking France partly with my head and partly with my heart because I want to see English tears. I want to see Piers Morgan in tears. Um, and I also do think that France ultimately is a better team than England, not by much. And they do have weaknesses, but I'm still picking France to, uh, to beat England in this one. I mean, this, this is, is this a toss-up? I mean, because what we've said about France? Well, first off, this was a fun office debate today. I asked people, if you could only watch one of these quarterfinals, what would it be? And half the room said England-France, half said Argentina-Netherlands. So. Really? Yeah. What half of the room didn't say England-France? You don't think it's even debatable? Oh, it's not even debatable. Oh, yeah. This is the this is the cream of the tro of the crop, and look, they're all great. But this, if you can only have one, yeah, this is the one. Um, should be a great game. I think it's pretty close to a 50-50, maybe slight edge France. Um, you know, Mbappe and, and the form that he's in, he could win the game by himself for them. Uh, Giroud, Dembele. Um, really excited to see some of these young midfielders tussle. Chouamani, Bellingham, Rice. Uh, those matchups should be fun. Excited to see Kyle Walker try to slow down Mbappe. You've got Kane going up against Hugo Lloris, his Tottenham teammate. Uh, so great matchups all over the field. Um, you know, the World Cup history here, 1966, 2-0 England, Roger Hunt, both goals. 1982, 3-1 England, Ryan Robson, two goals, including one in the first minute. Paul Mariner got another. So, um, But they've played in the Euros, too, 2004, uh, that famous game where England were winning 1-0. Zidane scored twice in stoppage time, and France won 2-1. Uh, so it's just a great matchup, loaded with history, two giants of the game, and looking very strong in this tournament. So I cannot wait. This is going to be phenomenal to watch. All right. Uh, as we said, those come later on in the week. Uh, we have a couple of days off. 
Um, can we transition here to a couple of uh, other news and notes that are happening here? Is that good? Uh, sure. Is that good? We've got enough there. All right, let's go over quick. Uh, our friend Doug McIntyre reporting that a contract extension for Greg Berhalter is already being discussed inside the United States Soccer Federation. He got that from an inside source. Keep in mind, Greg Berhalter, the head of the, the, the coach of the U.S. men's national team, his $1.3 million a year contract is running out later on this month. And Doug says, with the World Cup came, uh, campaign over for the United States, uh, Berhalter's contract is up, and he was noncommittal on his future, even though a U.S. soccer source told Fox Sports' Doug McIntyre that preliminary talks over a new deal have already taken place. Oh, they already have taken place. Well, we'll see uh, ultimately what happens there. Uh, good or bad, just quickly as we go through these things, for the U.S. to continue on with Greg Berhalter. I don't think I've gotten your opinion on this. No, I, I'm generally on your page about uh, multiple Get cycles. Scales, but yeah. But um, but I also I have some sympathy for Landon's point the other night that that this has always felt like an eight year project and it's such a young team and the players do seem to like Burhalter and and so th there is some logic to doing this plus you know I don't know what the alternatives were I mean we all like to imagine yeah, yeah. that all these great managers are lining up to coach the U.S. but maybe that's not the case maybe uh, U.S. Federation quietly did poke around and kick the tires and realize that there weren't that great of options out there and so and, and look they they also might i mean look if he's going to get a contract he's going to get a four-year deal right nobody's taken it for two years right. or whatever they might let's say the united states soccer federation they just might sign the four-year deal and recognize that two years into it maybe something better comes along and then they eat the next two uh, next two years and they kind of just factor that into the cost of doing business if something better comes along or and and i don't doubt that ernie stewart and brian bride may believe this that they this is their guy. This is the guy to take him to the promised land in 2026. And the other part of it is, who knows if Greg Berhalter ultimately wants to do this? I think he would. This is a plum type of job, and this generation that we're talking about is only going to get better. But it does have its challenges um, and potential problems. Like I said, uh, getting stale and Greg Berhalter being in charge of players who he had as basically teenagers and now are very, very different players and young men than they wa once were, and his ability to transition into a very different type of dynamic and group and lead that group. Um, our friend Max Bredos uh, over there says, the USA to Copa America is a done deal. Uh, Canada also is reportedly uh, going to be part of Copa America in 2024. Who knows? It may even be held in the USA. Clint Dempsey was talking about this the other night uh, on air because, obviously, the United States, Canada, and Mexico it hasn't been announced yet, but as joint hosts of the World Cup, uh, they're going to get buys to the World Cup, and therefore the qualifying process is not going to be, we're not going to have the octagonal and uh, all that kind of stuff. So getting quality games just in general is important, but it's even more important here because you're not even going to have the qualifying process to go through. And so playing in something like Copa America, something that I did twice uh, in my time with the national team, it was hugely, hugely beneficial. And so getting in Copa Americas, the Olympic process, all those different things are going to be really, really huge. And if Max is correct here in terms of his uh, information here, that would be wonderful if the U.S. were to participate in the Copa America 2024. Yeah, in this world in which people like to debate everything, this is the rare move that I think would have a 100% approval rating among U.S. fans. Right. I cannot imagine a person that <laughs> wouldn't think this is a good thing. And, you know, I've railed in the past about the fact that anytime the U.S. gets involved in a tournament, it, it automatically has to be in the U.S. But in this case, it would make some sense given the fact that the World Cup is in the U.S. So... I think and teams all, are going to want to come. All the other teams are going to want to come. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I think makes perfect sense all the way around. I've 
wish this would be the the new normal moving forward. I'd scrap the Gold Cup, scrap the Copa America, and just have this big tournament of the Americas every year, which every four years, which is like the big regional tournament for this part of the world. So I I'm all in on this. Uh, let's end it on here uh, in terms of this other news here. Tata Martino, and you know this could be lost in translation to a certain extent, but. Obviously, the, the post-mortem uh, from El Tree continues on here as he has stepped down. And, you know, he had some, uh, some comments about Major League Soccer, which he had, you know, Hector Herrera, Tata saying going to MLS from Europe was a waste for Hector Herrera. And then Vela, who obviously plays for LAFC and MLS, came back and said, if I were the coach, I would want the same thing. Because basically what Tata was saying is he wants his players playing in Europe, wants his players playing at the highest level. That's not a crazy uh, thing to say. Does he need to crap on MLS where he had a job? And who knows, he might have a future job? Eh, probably, probably not. But MLS wasn't the problem and wasn't the reason why the U.S. team bowed out in the round of 16, ultimately. Um, so that happened with, uh, with Tata, and the quote is, if you want it, I won't deceive people by saying that MLS is the best in the world. It's good. Of course, it's very good. Is it competitive? Of course it is. But the best football is in Spain and England. If we could have 30 to 50 players playing in Europe, that would be the best case scenario. Well, tell me something I don't know, uh, Tata. And I don't, I don't think that in and of itself is, is not is not a problem. But, you know, we, we get sensitive about these things when it, uh, when it happens. And ultimately, Tata didn't get the job done when it comes to Mexico, regardless of the realities. He knew the realities going in. Um, finally, before we go, the assist of the week presented by State Farm. My good friend, Richarlison, who has scored already some really, really incredible goals. But the one that he had here where he take against South Korea where he takes it off his head one two three touches around the South Korean defense plays it into uh into Marquinhos who plays it back to Diego Silva who plays it into Richarlison and a wonderful first touch wonderful team goal the assist of the week presented by State from I think everybody would agree that if you're looking for an assist of the week this has to be it and again the the transformation, if you will, of Richarlison continues at this World Cup. What a wonderful first touch uh, and obviously a wonderful assist. Do you want to wax poetic about your team uh, relative to this goal? Well, the thing else? I love about this move is it involved two center backs. Right. Marquinhos when you want something Thiago done Silva. right, you give us, get a center back to do it. Uh, yeah. So, and, and actually, we ranked this number one, right? We put it above Richarlison's Well, that's ridiculous, up. though. Because you it, disagree no, with it's that. No, it's a ridiculous thing. Yeah, we <laughs> did our top ten goals of the tournament, and our producers, and I'm sure you were involved in this, okay? Everyone in the back room decided what they were, and the Richarlison bike was number two, and then this goal was number one, which is ridiculous. Uh, and I let everybody know that I was not happy with that. Um, Mossy, anything before we go? Uh, yes, um, I must confess, I'm, I'm very tired, we yeah. had a long day, and I, I might have skipped this podcast, but I made a point of being here because we have some members of our team that yep. are leaving uh, after tonight, and so I wanted to be present for their last podcast here. Uh, Jeremy, who's sitting over there, uh, Ryan Bartlett, yep. who uh, I hung out with my first day here, getting my credential, uh, Fernando, and uh, our lovely director, Erin. Yep. I'm going to miss seeing her face every day. Yeah, people are um, starting to leave. So uh, we want to definitely shout out to everybody that is working so hard behind the scenes and has been working so hard behind the scenes to give you this constant content, this quality content uh, that we are producing. We're going to continue on because we still have plenty of people that will we'll do it, but 
This is a team effort in front of the camera and behind the camera to all of the men and women that have worked so hard. So, Mossy, you're absolutely, uh, absolutely right. We cannot thank them enough for everything that they have done. And sometimes in this bubble, you don't realize what is happening. But I think we're all going to eventually go back to the United States and realize that this body of work that we have, we can be very, very proud of. And in the moment, sometimes it's difficult to realize that. You know who's also leaving? Uh, one of our producers on the television side, Brad Weimer, yep. who's a fellow Michigan grad. Uh, but we already know the next time we're going to see each other. It's going to be SoFi Stadium for the national championship game after Michigan takes care of TCU. And we're playing presumably Georgia because Ohio State's going to be completely <laughs> overmatched against them. And uh, My wife I might will have be something there. to say about that. So yeah. we'll see. Um, all right. Anything else, my friend? That's it. We have we have uh, we have two uh, two days off here, and like Mossy said, I think everybody is just a little bit loopy uh, after having worked for so many days straight. But it's as we said, a labor of love, the best Groundhog Day you could possibly imagine. But we're going to take these two days, and everybody is just going to recharge mind and body, and it is needed. The digital team actually is going to go on an adventure. A lot of people are going out doing the dune bugging, that kind of stuff. If you've been watching our coverage, me and Stu did a lot of that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm going to sleep uh, and maybe do a little bit of Christmas shopping, and then we'll just rev it up for the uh, quarterfinal games that we just, uh, just discussed. My man, uh, you're doing a wonderful job, all right? I know I bust your balls about a lot of different things, uh, as a lot of people do, but you, you should really understand how important this guy is to the functioning of, of Fox soccer on a continual basis and how many people lean on the great David Mossy. And I think you do. If you've, if you've watched us or listened to us for any length of time, you understand how important he is and how talented he is. And everybody understands that. This has been the State of the Union presented by State Farm. This has been a little bit longer because we wanted to end up here and uh, give you a little bit uh, of, a, of a longer type of look here because there is still lots of soccer and lots of action, and I'm sure lots of twists and turns that are coming. But so far, so good here from Doha, Qatar, as the 2022 World Cup continues on. The elites, the cream, has risen to the, risen to the top, and there's still a Cinderella going when it comes uh, to Morocco. And I guess at some point, you're not a Cinderella anymore, but a lot of good games coming. Uh, we will talk to you again. When we do, and until then, and as always, my friends, size the day.